0: This is a seminar on how, how to raise up uh, a culturally diverse leadership team. I think I just called it culturally diverse leadership team and the how to. I, I, we're going to try and talk a little bit about that, but we're not experts. So we're trying to raise this topic and a space to discuss it. The way the seminar is going to work is I'm just going to share a few thoughts up front. Uh, and then we've got some guys who are from different cultures who are in our leadership team. We're going to sort of sit and it's an opportunity to ask questions. So please have questions ready uh, otherwise, that part of the seminar could be a little bit boring. Uh, no disrespect to our team. Um, so, it's in 1992, there was a film released called White Men Can't Jump. Uh, and in that film, it was Woody Harrelson was a white character who played basketball, and he made, m- he made money from hustling black groups of basketball players uh, who thought they could definitely beat him because he was a white guy. Uh, and so, and one of the guys he he hustles is Wesley Snipes, who uh, a, a very very accomplished black basketball player. Uh, and, and the film really goes on to show that as Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes first have uh, this sort of rivalry, then they actually become friends, and it ends up with them both learning that it's better off them playing basketball together than it was them playing on their own. And, and one of the key moments is the film is when Woody Harrelson, who is a white man and therefore he can't jump and slam dunk the ball into the hoop, at the end of the film, he kind of, from, from his interaction with Wesley Snipes, learns, I can do this, and he jumps and he kind of slam dunks it in. And I feel a little bit like the Woody Harrelson character in like kind of learning that interacting with with leaders and people from other cultures, actually, it's enriched me massively. So I, I think if we look at um, the vineyard movement, uh, if you if you uh, were here a few years ago, T- John Tyson from New York came to speak, and he made a phrase, which was the, the, the vineyard. Looking at this room, he said, it's breathtakingly white. It wasn't this room, but it was the main room. And to be honest, it pains me when we're in the main room to think the leaders in our movement are still breathtakingly white Uh, and and so the agenda for this is really I want to stoke this up that I feel like as you can tell this isn't a topic that thousands of people in our movement really care about at the moment but we want we want to get it on the radar because uh, I'm going to explain why I think it's so important for us and then a few things about how maybe we can try and make progress towards actually doing it does that sound all right okay so um, first of all uh, we are a kingdom people and the kingdom is multicultural. Actually, not just a little bit, it's actually at the core of it. So if you, if you read the Bible, and even if you begin at the very beginning, in, in Genesis 22, we see that Abraham is told that every family on earth will be blessed through God's covenant. We then look through the Old Testament, which is obviously just about a specific people. It's just about the people of Israel, and yet there's so much in it. Ruth, We all know the story of Ruth, Moabite woman, who's drawn into God's covenant work. Uh, Then you know, do you know what uh, the story of David? When David is anointed as king, uh, and then he has his mighty men. David's mighty men. If you go through the ethnicities of David's mighty men, there's many, many people from many, many ethnicities, many cultures, uh, of whom Bathsheba was the wife of one. It's, so she's she's probably a, a lady from a different culture, a different ethnicity, from Israel. Uh, Isaiah, Jonah, especially in the prophets, they speak of how God wants to do something to reach other nations, not just one nation. Uh, the book of Jonah is specifically an anti-racist document. It's a prophetic. The way we teach it to our kids is all about the whale, but actually the book is all about the vine at the end. That. Jonah's annoyed about withering, and God's like, but I care about Nineveh. I care about these people. Um, And then, of course, we get to Jesus, and Jesus comes to embody the the promise and the covenant of God, and what's Jesus say? He says, go to all nations and make make disciples of all nations. And then in Acts 2, you'll notice of Pentecost. What happens in Pentecost? Many languages, many people from many areas, many cultures, all at the same time the Spirit is released upon them. Uh, and, and then we know at the end of the, bo- of the book, Revelation 7, the picture of the kingdom, Revelation chapter 7 is every, people of many, many nations and many tongues. In fact, it probably says every tribe and every tongue together worshipping the Lamb. So the question for us is, are we really kingdom people if we are not multicultural If we're a breathtakingly white room, is the now and the not yet of the kingdom really being manifested in Vineyard? And I have a worry that actually we're really, really weak on this area, and I would love to see us move into it. Uh, Do you know that in Acts, we have an example already of multi-ethnic leadership team, multicultural leadership team within the church in Antioch? So the first church-planting church is the church in Antioch. And the list of the leaders can be found in Acts chapter 13. And among them, among the leaders, it says there's Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaan, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So of those people, there's massive cultural diversity in the leaders of the church in Antioch. And so if we're a church-planting movement, Again, I think our leaders should be people from many ethnicities and many cultures. I think that's the biblical witness. And then finally, um, uh, Gordon Fee is a theologian who I love and I hugely uh, admire what he's done. Uh, and in God's empowering presence, he says actually, he says this, it's a fascinating phrase. He says, he says uh, Paul's missionary agenda was not to cause Gentiles to become Christians. Paul's missionary agenda was to draw Gentiles together with Jews into the Koinonia, the one body of Jesus Christ, the new king. His goal was not to go and just make Gentiles Christians. His goal was to draw Gentiles and Jews together into one body. And if you read Paul's letters with that mindset, you realize that Galatians is all about we must have diversity together in the Koinonia so many of his letters and actually the word koinonia so it was fascinating hearing john mark uh, coma speaking about koinonia this morning the thing and i was like yes we want koinonia the thing that was fascinating is that actually koinonia means different people joined together united as one that's the ki- that's the that's the greek phrase so you can't really have true koinonia if it's just you with somebody like you it's only when it's somebody who's different from you joined together with you and this is the kingdom that we want to be a kingdom people. So what we talk about in Croydon Vineyard is we want to be. Uh, we talk about a, f- a fusion culture. And we want to have a fusion culture, so that we have somebody who comes with a different culture, and together with me, it fuses into something new. A bit like f- cooking, a bit like a restaurant. If you owned a restaurant and you just served one kind of dish, and then some some other flavour or fragrance can be brought in. You look for a fusion. Now different people will talk about. Uh, releasing leaders of different cultures in different ways. Uh, and we're going to get on to looking a little bit about this. But just to start with, I just want you to have a think about uh, your church, your city, your context. And this is something that's helpful. I'm sure you've seen this before, uh, that's been raised. So if you think about the, the city or the town that you live in. And then you think about your church, the congregation. The congregation. And then if you just think about the leadership. Now, the question that's worth asking is what is the the cultural makeup in percentage of your city or your town? So Croydon, where we are, is 40% non-white. 60% white, 40% non-white. Now, obviously, within within the white and within the non-white, there's a whole range of cultures and ethnicities as well. But just from a very crude perspective, as a city... Croydon is 40% non-white. And actually, the the congregation of our church, Croydon Vineyard, is also 40% non-white. And then the leadership community, people who lead small groups, who worship, is also 40% non-white. So we are feeling like, oh, wow, God's done an amazing thing. Because when we started, the city was still 40% non-white. Our congregation was 0% non-white, and our leadership community was 0% non-white. And what we realized are there's barriers that lie between these things. Somebody needs to actually jump a barrier to get from your city or your town into your congregation. And they need to jump a barrier to get from your congregation into your leadership. And the, these barriers are significant barriers that are worth thinking about. A key barrier here is aspiration. Does, does what your church in any way communicate to the town around you You're welcome if you've got a skin colour that's different from mine. So, what does your website show? What the images that you show on your, all that kind of stuff. But this isn't a seminar about getting people from many cultures into your congregation. It's about this: how do you get people from your congregation, who are non-white or not from the same culture as you, into the leadership? Does that make sense? So, this is what this is, and this is the thing that's taken us longer, and we've thought about far more. Um, And I feel like there's some useful things we've learned. So here's three things that I think you can do, assuming you want to, uh, to help people in the congregation move into the leadership. So um, you may not be a, a senior pastor yourself, but you can do these things, whatever culture, whatever position you are within church. So the first one is you gain confidence on the distinctives of vineyard. You gain confidence on the values you yourself have you gain confidence in, this is the biblical teaching. Now, I, I don't know. I, I, I would love greater level of confidence in, I, I really know what we're about. I know that this is, this is who we are. We're, we're people who worship. So I, the more confident I am what worship really is biblically, the better. The more confident I am what it means to say, come Holy Spirit, the better. Because I, I don't want to just copy what I've seen somebody do in a particular culture. I want to actually understand what it means to say come Holy Spirit and all the other distinctives, vineyard values. You'll know there's there's many of them. Uh, So confidence on those things. Think about those things. The second thing is constant discussion with people in your congregation who are not from the same culture as yourself and deliberately raising the difficult topics. It's constant discussion. Uh, So what, what I have done is I've deliberately sat down with people who are from the black community in Croydon, or from, so we're going to hear from Sal in a minute, from uh, Brazilian, or from Eastern Europe, and i have like, tell me, what's it like being a black person in our church? What's it like being a black person in our church? What do we do that makes you feel a little bit, like, that's a bit weird? What do we do that you like? How, how does it feel? Because one of the things that I thought is that um, it's best to be colorblind, it's best just to pretend that everybody's the same. And only a white person would think that. <laughs> because because it, we're not the same. So let's stop pretending we're the same. Because that actually in itself, that is a denial of the dignity of the people who are coming. Um, so I'll give you an example. I was, I've learned so much. So there's a guy called Leon. Leon is a black guy who grew up in Croydon. He was involved in gang culture. He saw his, one of his best friends stabbed to death. Went through crisis, came to faith, um, and then he's become a Christian, and, he's, uh, and then we've met him, and he's come into our church. Uh, so he asked me, what do you think of Harry and Meghan? What do you think about the Harry and Meghan situation? And I was talking about all this stuff. Oh, what about Harry and Meghan, and what about this? And he asked me, do you know, this is a race issue. This is a race issue. This is a black woman who will not be accepted by a white family. And I was shocked, because I would never have thought about that. And so then in terms of leading, I'm thinking, wow, there's race issues in all kinds of issues. whether it is a race issue or not, he as a black person sees it as a race issue. Do you see how it's so important to understand that? Um, there's a guy called Damien Luke, who's a pastor of a Nigerian guy, leads a, a black majority church in Croydon, who I've just deliberately sat with. And I'd be like, Damien, tell me what, just help me understand, like, what's it like to be a black person in Croydon? Uh, and he says, is he, uh, it's very interesting. Even listen to our conference. He says, do you know something that the black community think? Now, I'm saying this on behalf of, I'm conscious that there's many people. You can agree or disagree, but this is what Damon says. He says, everyone talks about Brexit. The church is praying about Brexit while black kids are getting knifed to death. And nobody talks about knife crime, and nobody talks about that. And, and the church, he said, it's a racist attitude that's inherent within the church in this country. That you care about the environment, and you care about Brexit, but you don't care about the black kids getting killed. And I was like, seriously? He goes, if you ever do prayer meetings, and you pray about Brexit, you must also pray about knife crime. Otherwise, black people in your congregation will feel like you're ignoring them. I was like, wow. I never would have known that if I hadn't asked... There's questions, so we ask questions. Um, uh, I know Sal's going to talk about this in a minute, but uh, asking a lot of questions about authority. Authority. One of the main barriers here is an understanding of authority. If you grow up in the Western society, generally you have a low view of authority. Don't call me pastor. Don't say I'm a senior. Don't give me any titles. And And actually a lot of what vineyard was birthed into was a very anti-authoritarian culture. We were hipp- we came out of the Jesus people, the hippies. So wear T-shirts, don't dress up smart, don't call me pastor. And actually now, many people from other cultures are like, they kept on calling me pastor. And I'd be like, don't call me pastor. And they, they would get almost annoyed. And I had to realize that that's a cultural view of authority that I'm trying to impose on them, which is inappropriate for me to do that. And so it comes together with a fusion. They see the good in what, I've inherited in terms of what authority is, and I see the good in what they've inherited in what authority, but it only comes through conversation. So I just want to draw you in a model that I think is really, really helpful for understanding culture. So if you think about that, this is this is from a guy called um, Edward Law, who wrote a book in 1992, which is about the same year as White Men Can't Jump was made, which if you think about it, in 1992, that's more than 25 years ago. So we're a long way behind. I just want to I want to suggest we're a long way behind this stuff. But his his suggestion is this that if you think about Jesus, the resurrection, and the cross, the crucifixion. I write cross because it's shorter. And he says generally, white culture, because it's White middle-class churches generally have had a, 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 an experience of life that is, is, is kind of, to some extent, you've, you've, you've grown up with privilege. And therefore, a lot of when you come to Jesus, you come to give up authority, to humble yourself and surrender. And there's a lot of confession So a lot, of, a lot of the white, middle-class churches' entry point to the gospel is giving away of authority, surrendering, and confession to come to the cross. Now, law says a lot of black-majority churches, they come from a place of poverty, and they're just crying out for God. And so what they want is they want to step into authority to receive power and to give thanks. So there's an entry point here, and there's an entry point here. And if if you're trying to just affirm this entry point and meet people in this place, you will alienate people who've come from a culture which tells them this is what God does. Now, what's interesting to, to me, if you think about what we generally talk about in this country is we've got a name for churches who only ever talk about this. The name is Prosperity. We're a Prosperity Church, all you do is talk about this. We haven't got a name for this kind of church, which is fascinating to me, because this is our culture. We've grown up, in. most of us, in white-majority culture. I have. I haven't got a name for what's the problem here, but I've got a name for that, and that just illustrates further the blindness we can have to our own cultural inher- inheritance. So what he says, Lord says, is what you want is a church that takes people round the whole cycle. So you meet people, and there's a stepping into authority, there's a receiving of power, there's a giving of thanks, and there's also a giving up of authority, there's a surrender, and there's a confession. And that journey together is fusion kingdom culture. Does that make sense? This is the premise of everything, and this is what I think you get from Kohenonia, And without koinonia, you probably just get one side of it. True koinonia. um, then, so constant discussion to understand. First thing is confidence in what are our real values. Second one is constant discussion, deliberately talking about difficult things. And the third one is friendship and risk-taking. So risk-taking to give space for people to then explore what does it look like to express our values in this fusion culture, rather than just do it exactly as I've done it? So, um, I'm going to invite Dorothy to come and share a little bit. As w- Dorothy leads worship twice a month in our, in our church, and she's just going to share a little bit about how it's been trying to find fusion culture leading worship in Cronvino. So, over to you.
1: Thanks, Tom um <clears throat> sorry just getting over a throat infection Ah, <laughs> so um hi my name is Dorothy worship leader at Coraline Vineyard um joined uh this time last year the first week of January we myself and my husband joined we marriage for just one month at that point um so he we went into church and like the first time I ever spoke to Tom after service uh walked up to him and I was like hi my name is Dorothy uh 29 worship leader he was like fantastic i've been looking for a black worship leader and not only that a black female worship leader <laughs> i was like okay that's good to know <laughs> so he introduced me to um the head uh the lead worship leader and uh yeah the rest is history <laughs> but since then um they've like encouraged me to just be myself, really. I've been sent to um, a worship retreat a few months ago, the Vineyard Worship Retreat, which is absolutely amazing. I've had like loads of sit-downs with Tom, loads of sit-downs with um, Phil, our worship leader. And they, yeah, they've just really encouraged me to just to um, not try to conform to the Western white sound, but just to be myself. So I'm, I have gospel training, gospel singing training, sorry. Um, I've sung in choirs, I've you know, I've done all these gospel things uh, in the black community, <laughs> and um, they've just been like, "Yeah, you know, if you feel like that's the sound that you want to continue with, then go for it." So during praise and worship, I, um, I, again, I'm not trying to, I'm not even trying to sound like a gospel singer. I'm not trying to sound like a, you know, Bethel Hill song singer. I just, I've really been able to, I've been encouraged to find my, find my own voice. Um, so coming from again like a gospel background we are encouraged to like sing more like fast songs joyous song praise and even stemming from our roots of um I'm um, Nigerian. I'm African. Um, uh, back home, it's like if you go to church, it's actually a blessing because you might have walked like an hour to get to church, no public transport, or you might actually live in an area where they kill Christians um, or they bomb the. Bo- uh, you, you know, you're afraid threat of them bombing the church that you're even going to. So everything was like Thanksgiving, praise, joyful noise, and um, yeah, just again, I was so encouraged to like bring a sense of that into Corona Vineyard. So in um, usually. Like when I when I first joined, it was like mainly like slow songs, and I just thought, yeah, let's just inject some 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 praise up in here, you know, <laughs> the spice. <laughs> so every now and again, you know, I will drop a fast song, and you know the congregation love it, and I don't I don't really get any looks like, oh, what is she doing? It's just like, yeah, continue,
0: continue. <laughs> so yeah, just um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Dorothy. That's really helpful. Um, so just want to flag up on that. that um, you know uh, you know the IRTDMN mnemonic? Yeah, identify, recruit, train, deploy, monitor, nurture. So what you're doing is you're trying to identify, recruit, and train in the congregation, and then you deploy into leadership and monitoring and nurturing. So part of that, like, oh, black worship leader is part of the identification. Right? You see, it's on the radar. You get it? And then deploying is bring your flavor and then the monitoring and nurturing, we take the risk, like, go and show us, because we, we don't know what it would look like, but show us. And then the monitoring and nurturing is really important, isn't it? Because it might be like, no, that was, I don't know if that was too much, or maybe that wasn't enough. But it, it's, And that's why we'll have those sit-downs and that relationship. When it's, it's more important to have a relationship with somebody if you're letting them step into something and bringing a different flavor. So, uh, so for example, um, that's on intimate worship. So naturally supernatural, that's one of our key values, isn't it, as a vineyard? Naturally supernatural. Uh, and this is maybe one of the ones that's most, most kind of defined in a white Western way, perhaps, perhaps. Uh, what does it mean to be naturally supernatural? Uh, so... <laughs> I'll give you an example that, uh, that went wrong because it hasn't always gone right. Um, so we had a, an Angolan guy come to our church, and I identified, recruit, trained, and deploy. And we and we had a, a prayer gathering uh, in the evening. Uh, when we were, we were sort of like, this is how we want to do it. The, you know, you've got a five-minute slot to in, introduce prayer on this, and somebody else, like we did this morning, right? You're praying for Wales, you're praying for Scotland, you'll lead the prayer, get the people praying. Uh, and so we talked it all through in advance, and we'd met, I'd met him lots of times. Uh, and then I discovered that when I put a microphone under his mouth, he just transformed into a totally different person. A- and that is partly the view of authority. He understood microphone was a giving of authority to him. And so I'd asked him to lead a certain kind of thing on prayer. And just as he was standing up, he said, he said, pastor, pastor, I, I need to preach. And I said, no, you're not preaching. This is not a, this isn't a service. This is a, a prayer night. And he goes, I need to preach. I said, no, you can't preach. Uh, and he goes, okay, but I need to sing. And I said, no, you're not singing. Now, we've got a worship team who do the singing. You're not singing. And, uh, and so he, he was like, okay, okay. Uh, and then he took the microphone and then he stepped into the authority of I'm now the person with authority in this room because I have the microphone. And so he started to do some stuff, and he goes, I just want to do a quick preach. And, and as he was singing, I was like, okay, I will risk-taking, right? We've got to give a bit of space for exploration. He went on a bit, a bit longer than I wanted. And I was like, I just went up to him and said, can you just get the people praying now? Like, just get them praying. And so he, he goes, all right, start to pray. He goes, but before you do that, and then he started to, he goes, I'm going to sing over you. And I, and I was like, Do not sing. <laughs> do not sing. <laughs> In his ear, like, do not sing. And, and he's like, amazing, great. And I learned two things in that moment. Firstly, I learned he could really sing. The guy could really sing. And secondly, he was, he was the man with authority. So me coming in was me then usurping his authority because he refused to give me the microphone. And so it ended up with us slightly wrestling over the microphone. And, I, and everybody was fortunately kind of praying. And I eventually ripped it out of his hands. And I was like, okay, we have to, because he'd been, he'd been given five minutes, and he'd gone 25 minutes, and he'd only just started, he'd only just started. So that was a risk that didn't work, right? Where I realized I hadn't explained enough about what authority was. But I didn't understand that. It, it's worked better. There's a guy called Dillish, who's a Sri Lankan guy, and he leads for us our pre-service prayer. So every, every Sunday morning, he leads our prayer. Now, Dillish, for him, naturally supernatural is, he wears a suit, and he comes, and he'll be like, you know, like, Come, Jesus, come, Jesus. Power, 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 power. Now, that's natural for him. So if I'm saying naturally supernatural, he's like, well, what are you talking about? That's, this is. So I was a bit like, well, let's take a risk. We'll let him have a go. And I will just give him a bit of feedback. So when he first led the the pre-service prayer, it was a little bit like nobody knew what to do. It was very awkward. But now, do you know, he leads the pre-service prayer in a wonderful, wonderful way. He still brings the Sri Lankan, like, he loves authority. He steps into the authority that Jesus has given him to lead that meeting, and he calls on us to use our authority to call for Jesus to do things in the morning. So he's doing way better morning prayer than I, we ever would have done without him, and that's the fusion culture that, that that we're talking about. Leon, who I told you about before, black guy, he preaches. Um, of our preachers, three of our eight preachers are black. Uh, three of our worship, eight, I think, eight nine worship leaders are black. Um, And, uh, Sal preaches for us as well. He'll talk to you in a minute. But, uh, Leon was preaching this last Sunday and in the middle of the preach, he started rapping. And I tell you, it was the most powerful moment in a preach that I've ever, ever seen. He just was like, and he just went for it and everybody in the room. And do you know, I would never do that. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we got, we got a hint of it, didn't we? we? Was it David? Was it David last night? Um, and I love that. I love that. That's what Jesus wants for us as a, church, a movement, to be enriched. Um, so Sal is going to come and just share a little bit about what's it like as somebody. So Sal, you can explain where you grew up and then just talk to us. Give us some tips. Okay.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm Sal. I'm originally from Brazil. And I have been living in the UK for 16 years. Um, I My first language is Portuguese. I learned... English after I moved in here, so after I was 26 years old. So, um, yeah, going into the vineyard, going to leadership, for me, I had loads of challenges and hurdles to overcome because I always felt like, I I always got on well with people from other cultures and other countries, but when it came to white English or British people, I found it hard, because I found there was a sense of inferiority that, that I wouldn't be heard because... My, my first language was in English. I had an accent. I don't pronounce things properly. So overcoming that, into to start coming in front of a church and preaching, it, it was a massive. It still is sometimes. I still, <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, so that that is the the background. And uh, but I had a lot of um, encouragement and and help from uh, the pastors like Tom and Leslie. They've always encouraged, and they always been trying to, I've always trying to repress the Brazilian in me, and they're always trying to bring it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's always that hassling, I'm, yeah, try, I'm trying to be more uh, <laughs> reserved. <laughs> it doesn't always work. And um, and they always trying to make me be more Brazilian. And I think that's a positive thing, is, is what Dorothy was saying, like, uh, have your own voice, bring, bring what you've got. Because I, I was here because I... I came to the UK uh, sent by a church, so you come with that idea that you have to adapt to that culture. You don't come with the idea that you are bringing your culture in there because if you you ever done any missionary stuff, they would say you are going and you are going to adapt and you are going to learn and you are going to adjust to them. And this was the opposite. It was like you have to be yourself. You have to bring your flavor. You have to... And um, it had been years, because I, I think I joined Vineyard six years ago, so it had been already 10 years that I was here. So a lot of what I bring and what I had of my own culture, I had already put to one side. So it was trying to bring all of that out again. And there was the thing about authority as well, that in, in Brazil, um, a leader is seeing uh, some, somebody with like, a high level of authority. Everyone has to respect, everyone has to listen and all of that, and I, n- I could never see myself stepping into that position. I always saw myself as, uh, no one will listen to me. No one will hear what I have to say. And uh, I think it was very positive, that the vineyard model of leadership for me, because I, I, I was able to relate on like almost on the same level. It's not like he's more than me. He's we are on the same level. So that helped me to build my confidence to be able to come and to lead Um to lead that like to do talks and stuff with why am I move sorry my phone going crazy i made some notes um yeah some other things that i found like challenging is like faith in in brazil is seen differently you it's unrelated to your feelings it's like you have faith despite everything else. So, um, it, every, everything is falling apart, and then you just believe, and you just carry on. Um, and and then you come into a context where it's all about trying to sense what God is saying, and trying to feel what the Lord is doing, and I wasn't I wasn't ready for it. I was like, um, I, I, I don't know how to, I believe God's doing something, I don't need to feel anything. So, I really wrestled with it in, in the vineyard, the thing about uh, words, giving words to people, and that, it was discouraged in, in Brazil, it was seen a lot of the times, I think because many churches abused it, and gave words that were completely like from the, for their own benefits and stuff, and then uh, in the church I was in Brazil, they were not against it, but they were very careful with it, so it always felt a bit childish and things, and I wrestled with it a bit, and, um, and then I started to Get myself more and more into that, and trying to feel what God is saying. And I even start giving some prophetic words that I didn't, I didn't expect. But it's something that changed, and I think was part of not only them opening up to receive what I had to bring, but also uh, myself opening up to to receive what was going on and what was being uh, taught to me. Um, and I think uh, some of the positive things, uh, like they always listen. I felt like. My voice was heard whenever we, we had meetings. I had things that I would say, well, they would come like in, because in, I'm part of the staff team as well. So sometimes in staff team, we, we'd come a topic or something. And I'd say, well, in Brazil, you used to do this and that. Like, really? T- tell me more. Tell me more. And then suddenly, they would adopt the thing, what I said. And I was like, I can't believe they adopted it. I can't believe they, they heard what I had to say, and they actually did it. Um, so bringing what I have to say and also what Tom was saying about risks, <laughs> it doesn't doesn't always pay off the risk uh, of getting somebody from a completely different culture and giving them the microphone. Um, but they have taken a risk on me and they have given me um, authority that I wasn't looking for. It was quite the opposite. I've run away for a long time from leading anything. I just about <laughs> did the youth work for them for about five years and then more recently they... M- they managed to drag me to uh, a more um, senior leadership level in the, in the church. But they've always encouraged me and helped me to bring what God has put in me, not only um, in my own personality, but culturally as well. So I think that's it, is that good? Yeah, good. Thank you.
0: So um, it's great these guys feel so empowered. I just really want to stress that we're not saying just do anything you want because we've we've got really confident on our values. We're confident on what is core to vineyard. We've built friendship with them, so we know them. They know us. We, it's, and then we're deploying them. So um, you know, you get some churches and like, oh, it's, uh, it's Sierra Leonean week this week, and we're all sing Sierra. Le- we've got Sierra Leone leaders, and they're doing their stuff. And then next week's going to be Nigerian week, and they'll sing their stuff. And uh, we don't do that. We, we, it's vineyard all the way through. We're confident in our values. But what we're saying is we can see you can inhabit our values and bring your flavor into those because we're friends with them. We know them. We trust them. And they trust us. And so that's, that's the way it works. So what we're going to do now is we're going to invite um, Rob and Emma and Dorothy and Precious and Sal to come and sit up front. And these are all guys who lead in uh, Croydon Vineyard. So it's time for questions. Okay, so I hope, I really, really hope you've got some questions. Have you got questions? Okay, brilliant. So uh, what we just, while you're thinking of questions, again, is just quickly introduce the guys you haven't met already. So Rob, just tell us about you and Emma.
3: Okay, uh, we come from um, quite a, oh, sorry, to my wife Emma for a start, which is always good. <laughs> We've been married for 22 years. We have five children. Uh, We don't own our own home. We live in a housing association. Uh, We don't earn enough to get a mortgage. Uh, We met in the health service. My wife is a speech and language therapist now, and I'm a head porter kind of uh, position, but I've only done that for a few years. I've been a porter for 25 years, so that's pretty much where we are. The area we live in is uh, really quite deprived. Three of the worst roads in Croydon Borough are in our area uh, for for being deprived. Uh, our road had the uh, one edition of *Neighbors from Hell was was uh, filmed in it. Um, and it's um, a, a definite majority of working class people that don't own their own properties. We have a huge uh, population of immigrants because we're so close to Luna House. Uh, and it's, well, I think the second largest housing estate in the south of London, uh, southeast, basically. So that's where we live. That's who we are.
4: hi guys my name is precious um being a deduction of me i i grew up in a, a very vibrant church so the church i went to was uh was was very very different from your norm i would say uh very very spiritual so you know when i you know when you know in terms of the shouting and the screaming that was literally a norm for me every day um literally uh but um but other than that though, obviously coming to Crodin Vineyard it's been amazing. Um I think me and my wife knew from the beginning that God was taking us in a different direction. And uh simply because from what we've experienced in, you know, the the the, the black church, God wanted to sort of do something uh, completely different and and new with us as well and coming to church has been amazing we've had some time where we've we've really into getting into the church especially for me personally um, I work with uh, a lot of young people and a lot of offenders and and that's qu- sort of been my background a lot of my friends growing up were sort of into things that were i would say wrong anyway so uh coming in and and feeling and being accepted um has been has been really really good um and you know obviously leading you know being a part of uh you know the, uh, the young people's group and and being able to engage with other young people in the in the church as well um has, has been amazing so yeah it's been a great experience
0: so so there's no bad questions don't worry is this a too sensitive a question these guys are all very very they'd love to help any question this is a safe room to ask anything uh and so go So I'm just going to repeat the question for the tape. So uh, the question is, have we come up in any, any resistance to this, uh, people saying they don't really want this? Do you want to answer that, Sal? Do you have anything to say on that? <laughs> um, you guys, anybody want
2: to? Um, uh, oh, I, don't Go on. I wouldn't say, uh, you mean um, resistance from my side, something I wanted to do or from? Yeah, from, the church, from the rest of the church. Like, from? from from the congregation, um, I I think because we have such a multicultural congregation. Uh, whenever I I was very hesitant when I had to talk in front of the church because I felt insecure and stuff, but whenever I did, I always had such an amazing response, and uh, everyone coming and talking to me, and and it was so helpful, and I could see people. A lot of people in the room could relate to what I was saying, like being a, being a, a foreigner and uh, having to go through immigration and visas. And there is a lot of people in the congregation that relate to that because they had to have visas and stuff. So I never felt personally a resistance to um, to being there, being in leadership as a as a as a foreign person. I did feel like right in the beginning, I remember um, in the beginning when there was a lot less and I went to the first hog roast that we had in the church. uh, It was uh, very few people and I was the only person there who was non-white, non-English speaking person. And on that day, I had to make a decision if I would stay on that church or not. It was in the very beginning and I went and I hid behind the pig. (laughs) <laughs> and I was carving it the whole afternoon and I didn't talk to anyone it was it was just alone with my thoughts saying do I really want to to come here do I really want to join this church that was the, I think it was the only time that I felt really like I had to wrestle with the idea of remaining or not but I was the only person in the whole thing I think everyone else was either English or white South African or Australian in the whole hog roast uh, thing and I was yeah so that was the only time I felt a bit Right. Like, a similar
3: question to that is th- that, that group, you know, you said the same white South African, English, etc. Was there any uh, sort of people that are having off,
0: leaving because they didn't want a multicultural church? To, you know, and how did you get over that to mm-hmm. move them from uh, traditional <laughs> racists? Uh, Um, so uh, I would say that the way that the Lord was very kind to us is that we, we went from a 0% here and this percentage gradually increased. And what we tried to do in the congregation is we, we were very, very deliberate, especially my wife. So I don't know if you do any kids' ministry, but you'll find that nearly every kid's Bible, all the characters are white. And so she deliberately, right from the very kickoff, she'd do everything she could to find kids' Bibles with black characters. Every time we showed pictures of Jesus, sometimes we'd show a black Jesus on a screen. Uh, and when we first saw so we had a Nigerian guy who's not here today, but when he first preached, some of the guys went, I, I don't know who that guy was, but I couldn't understand what he was saying. And I said, well, that sounds racist. Well, you can't be bothered to just lean in to listen to what they're saying. They do that for you every single week. Uh, we did. We used Lord's Supper, where right at the very beginning we got. We said. We said right. Let's do Lord's Supper. Sal, what's that in Brazilian? And then there's a guy who's uh, a lady who's Romanian. She translates into Romanian. So we fit. We fed it in at this stage as much as possible, before we went too much on appointing people from other cultures into leadership. So the the congregation already knew this is going to be much. And we have had. I can guarantee. We've had friends of ours. I. I don't want to make them sound too bad but we had quite a few friends of ours who like if you plant a church we'll come with you and then they came and visited our congregation and they went oh i'm not sure i i'm not sure i want to join you and the reality is they then went off and joined other vineyard churches where the demographic is is more monocultural and i can totally understand that because it's way harder to walk into a room where everyone looks different smells different some different languages are being used that's harder But that's koinonia, I think. And so we have to go for that. So we just teach it. And if people don't stay, they don't stay.
1: Yeah, a a, a bit of everything, actually. I don't know if you, um, I don't know her name, so sorry. The lady that led this morning, all black, black woman. uh, I noticed that she puts her own accent on, um, especially when she's singing verses. So she won't just sing, for example, uh, come now is the time. She'll be like, come now is the time to worship Lord Jesus. And she adds a little bit at the end. That is her that's her voice. So I I, I I could totally relate with that because I do that too. I don't just sing like this, you know, just one line. I will add my own voice on top of it. That's vocals. And in instruments, I would encourage the drummer to do more of a doon, do doo, doo, do doo, because that kind of like reminds me of like the African beat. <laughs> no one knows that. I just revealed that today, sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so like, um, the, the especially the backing vocalist, in rehearsals, I'm, I, we spend a lot of time in rehearsals practicing how they encourage the congregation to, so, you know, a lot of, you know, and then moving from side to side, not just side to side, forward and backwards, major difference. <laughs> um, even the drummer, I encourage him to stand up sometimes and play the drums, you know, like, get more, like, dynamics in there as opposed to just the, you know, metonic, you know. <laughs>
0: And I think this—I think this is useful to think as well. Most of our songs in Vineyard have been here. I surrender. I bow down. It's and actually uh, we've used Waymaker a lot, haven't we? And I know lots of churches are using Waymaker. But if you think about it, songs that focus on this is who God is and this is what God does for us, people we find black people will start to. Steve Nicholson came and said like, "Your music, like, what's wrong with you? Why are you playing this music?" We're like, "We don't know any other music. We don't know what to do." And he said, "You'll see the sway." And it's it, it does happen, doesn't it? Yeah. And that's the sway that you're talking about. Forwards, Actually, like is it forwards and backwards as well? Oh, I didn't oh, know that.
1: Yeah. It makes a difference. Like so, this is this is what people <laughs> naturally do. But when you start going forward and backwards, it's a bit more whoa. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um so we had a meeting a few months ago. Um, so we introduced um, well, the leadership introduced the big six. So and that was meant to be more. Um, we noticed that most of the songs are like hill song, obviously uh, westernised. So they w- said that. Um, we have to sing six, so- uh, there's a selection of six songs. We have to pick three of them, every single set that we do. And they, their, the selection is again, like it's more culturally diverse, not just Bethel. So we, we were able to input like Israel Horton, um, Tasha Cobbs, um, Sinarch with Waymaker. And that really like, yeah, So I feel like since we did that, the like everybody is now worshipping together as opposed to like, you know, the Westerns versus, you know,
0: Do you want to say something about that? Because I've sought you out, very particularly precious.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: um, I think for me personally, I, I was in leadership in my in my last church um, that I was in, and I've and I've and since you know sort of being in church and taking it a lot more seriously, I've I've you know been in leadership. Um, but I think one thing I realised about. Um, obviously about Croydon Vineyard and about Tom in particular, is he was very, very open to receiving me and to receiving what I had to bring. So when I first came and I spoke to him about being in leadership, it wasn't like, oh, okay, you know, there wasn't so many questions that were asked in a way where it's like you felt individualized, if that makes sense. He made me feel like you have a lot to bring, if that makes sense. So, so, so yeah, kind of joining um, the, the leadership team was, he, he invited me and made me feel like I'm a part of, of the church and, and, and not a single person, if that makes sense. like Yeah.
0: Precious has become my, my fashion advisor. But you can't <laughs> see it today. <laughs> but the shoes are because of Precious. <laughs> uh, so seriously, one of the th- so yeah. So uh, we do see people out. But it, it, that's the identification stage, isn't it? We don't just do it to everybody. Please, uh, next question. Okay, so the question is whether we changed our content, our training, on when we moved from a monocultural to a more multicultural leadership uh, group. And I would think that, um, I, I guess it has. The, the reality is that we've been we were quite small. So we planted six years ago. There were eight of us on the, on the All White, and then Sal arrived very early on. So I think there would have been about 18 or 19 people in the church, and Sal was one of them. Uh, and so we never really had like an established monocultural leadership training model uh but we have del- i think we do a lot of the 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 one on one with people who are not from the natural uh kind of same easy speaking into their culture as i as I would so we 've got a few guys who i 've known from before, and we know we know what leadership is they know us, and so it's it 's kind of as straightforward. But with, so for example, with, with Rob and Emma, uh, with Dorothy and Precious, with Sal, we'll, we'll sit down a lot and be like, tell me about this. What, what do you think about that? Um, and that's enriched our training. Does that answer your question? Um, we've done a lot more one on one leadership training rather than just the process. Please. Yeah, just we'll go for you first here. Yeah. Yeah some of my best friends are black yeah <laughs> yeah
4: so so, um,
3: so, so they they dance around and it's like and it's actually what I think what you were saying is when you're all different it's just a lot harder mm. so I'm trying to push more and more to say like yes it is a lot harder but it's it, it's it should be worth it
0: yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I was wondering if if there are um, like helpful ways yeah. Yeah. They don't go defense, like- yeah. Okay so the question is just again repeating for the tape is yeah. that um when people if people are raising issues with somebody from another culture they may not want to be really up front and it may be hidden and not actually themselves even realize it's a cultural racist potentially racist thing. Um I think what I want to say on this is really that um we preach repentance and faith every week. So we preach Every single week we repeat, like, you've brought to Jesus your own things. We need to lay it down at the cross and be reformed and remade. And we will, we will repeatedly name racism as one of the things we need to repent of. Uh, and, and we will name, we will, as we preach, we'll say, you might not instinctively even think that there's anything about you that's racist, but if you think about this situation or think about that situation, if you don't care so much about um, so an example would be, I've got a Leon who I see quite a lot. He and I were having quite a, quite a like, heated conversation on the streets. And we were both loving it. Like, it wasn't an argument. But we were quite voic- and I suddenly turned around and thought, oh, my goodness. People will think he is having a go at me and they need to come and protect me. Because he's a black guy speaking to me as a white guy. And it, you're like, well, I just couldn't believe it in that moment, that moment of revelation. So we preach on that stuff. Because I think ultimately the spirit of God convicts of all sin... And, and, and he leads us into a life of fruit. So rather than dealing with it, hopefully in the moment, you can then deal with every single week in your preaching. Does that make sense? Um, and tackling it, we ask questions in small group. We, we put questions for our small groups. Sometimes we'll be like, you know, how, how would you respond to a, uh, uh, somebody who's an asylum seeker? How would you respond to somebody who's from a different culture? And things like that. We just try and feed it in all the way through the church. There was a question here. Okay, the vineyard. So there is a Vineyard Values book yes. that I really encourage you to get. Um, okay, so that's, that's uh, so we, we've actually landed. Uh, the reason I stopped because I don't want to force, we have five sort of key emphases which we talk cu- culture of worship, raising sons and daughters, which is investing in noughts to 18s, uh, developing leaders. Uh, excuse me, what are our other ones? <laughs> 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 Love, Love, Love Croydon. Yeah. Love, Croydon. And, and, and uh, life changing small groups. So we talk about like, so we use things like naturally supernatural, uh, come Holy Spirit, um, everybody gets to play. Um, so that, those are the kind of values that I'm talking about. So, effectively,
1: so what you're saying is, is that you take those
0: vineyard values yeah. and you actually talk about them and use them all the time in your preaching and in your small groups as an actual deliberate thing, as opposed to something that is kind of, well, you've been so you know that. Yes. So Do you want to speak about that, Emma? Yeah, certainly.
4: Um, certainly, like, sort of small groups and stuff like that, certainly uh, things like everyone gets gets to play, everybody gets the opportunity to, um, to read from the Bible, everybody gets the opportunity to be able to take the questions away and look at them and deliver the group for that evening. Um, so, yeah, sort of, like, you know, in small group settings, um, in um, intimate, intimate groups, maybe sort of, like, on a one-to-one, um yeah it's it's something that's that's across I mean certainly uh Sunday mornings we would have a focus on one and then no- another week we'd have a focus on another and then so obviously that people would be constantly reminded yeah of the different values um within within Croin Vineyard. Yeah.
0: Some of the values are easier than others. Everyone gets to play. I don't think many I mean actually that is quite unique to vineyard in some ways but things like come holy spirit that's a really a naturally supernatural there the, and the worship they're the most challenging because they're quite quite hard we've we've set them in a quite a white middle class way
4: um
0: great question so we are in a we are, we've, obviously this has always been 40%. This has increased, this has increased. So we now have nine people, many are employed part-time on our staff team. So Sal is one of those nine. Uh, we have Tina, who's, uh, I asked her just before the session, I said, I want to get the stats right, so please tell me. She said she doesn't call herself white. Uh, and her friends, she says, she said this to me, my brown friends say they love me because I'm a brown friend. So, <laughs> she, so she says she's not white. Okay, but you might... She said she wasn't really sure how she could describe herself. We haven't got any black people on our staff team yet, and we would love to. Uh, we have two black trustees, uh, and we have a, a Hungarian lady as one of our trustees, and we've got seven trustees. So our mix is around about 40% as well, non-white, on our trustees. Um, we, would lo- we feel that it's, our great, it's a great prayer for us that as we grow 40% of our staff team, uh, becomes black or non-white and we have a great, great desire I just feel it's something the Lord's put in us we want to send out ch- senior leaders, church planters who are non-white uh, it's our prayer that that happens across the movement so that in, uh, I, think, I think the UK is between 10 and 20% non-white so we should have 10 and 20% non-white church leaders and area leaders and regional leaders and it's my hope that in my lifetime we have a black national director. That would be amazing for Vino Churches, but we'll see. We'll see. Any more questions or shall we pray? Yeah, please. Absolutely. Uh, how do you bring people along the when like language can be a barrier? Yeah. Um does, y- does anybody want to say anything on that? <laughs> do you want to say about Uh we we um
1: also have a um a English school that we run in our local library Fridays Thursdays and Fridays and that's mixed of Every single nationality, uh, we communicate w- with them during the week. Um, I'm, I'm just using that example because we also do this at church. Uh, they're not just—it's not just a Sunday thing. It's not just a Thursday, Friday thing. It's like every single day of the week. So when you communicate with someone enough, you actually like actually start to learn. If you start off with a nickname, so if like Dillish Dill, <laughs> and over time you would find that you know it—it it gets imprinted in your mind. But you have to communicate with
0: them enough. I just used the word, my brother. (laughs) (laughs) Don't know my brother. Um, We had a lady, a Nigerian lady, who was baptizing her girl. uh, And the girl had nine names, all of which were just totally different from anything that I would ever have said, uh, apart from Grace, which was her eighth name. Uh, And so I got my wife to do that baptism, which was wonderful. (laughs)
3: I was just going to say, because of the area we live in and the people we have in church, and because of my job, we get a lot of agency staff in, I can only encourage you. One thing that I've uh, we've heard, really, through Tom preaching yeah, is names are very important. You've probably heard a lot of preaching uh, against where you call people stupid, you're, you're giving them a label. Their actual name is their identity. And I can only encourage you completely to make every effort you can to find out how to say their name properly. Um, A guy we had with uh, for uh, quite a while at work was a guy called Piotr, Polish for Peter. So because people couldn't say his name properly, everybody started calling him Polish Peter. But his name isn't Polish Peter. His name is Piotr. And it took me ages to be able to cut the T off at the end properly. And one day he actually said, Rob, that's the first time you've ever said my name properly. And that meant a lot to him. So I can really only encourage you to put as much effort in as you can because that name is their identity that's who they are if you change it you're effectively saying you can't be bothered to know who they really are
0: i just want to temper slightly that in the um uh i think i think people are okay with you not being great at their name because i think uh, people recognize this isn't a name you'd often say uh and so often i'll say to somebody like can you help me say your name i really want to say it i, I really i really am v- and i think just being up front like they see your, I can see it in you. You love them. You want to welcome them. They'll pick that up. Uh, so rather than renaming, which is your again, which I agree, uh, I, I, can you just help me? And I find if somebody says it to me and I say it back to them, i be like, is that right? they will be like, no, no, just mm, and change it. And if I can say it enough times, I, I find it, I get there. But I, I, I'm, not, I'm not good at it. I
3: Just really yeah.
4: to no i was gonna say that i feel like um just to kind of round off as well i was gonna say i feel like understanding the culture in terms of the name in terms of our music in terms of our food it it, it 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 plays a big part in um you know in actually identifying with you know a black person or whoever you're 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 speaking to so like even um there's like you know there's many like preachers and teachers that are quite Charismatic with how they preach that a lot of the black community can uh, can that a lot of the black community um, huh? Identify with you know, so I feel that you know as even as Rob said I, Like if sometimes it's quite hard if you don't understand, you know, you know kind of black culture so just literally reading watching and you know listening to african music understanding african food like nigerians like there's a food there's a, you know a well known dish that we we make called jollof rice everyone you know and we love it yeah so uh, so I, c- I love it especially anyway <laughs> but uh, you know so i think it's just like yeah just making just as you would do sort of researching and anything else just research about culture and then it makes it easier to reach out to those that you you want to speak to
0: thank you Sal, so can you pray for us all as we finish
2: Yes um Lord thank you thank you God for this seminar thank you Lord that you are God that wants to bring us all together Lord thank you for every every single person here that has a heart to to join together with other cultures and to learn about other people and to welcome them into their churches and into their lives so i, I just pray that you your spirit will help us lord that it, we as Tom said we haven't got it all together but We know that you have everything in you. All we need is in you, Lord. So I pray that your spirit will come and and help us to identify things and to change things and, and to bring more and more people from different cultures and different countries and backgrounds into our lives and into our churches. In the name of Jesus, amen.
0: Thank you. Do feel free to stay and ask questions if you want, but that's the end of the session.